Gets a ball out. Eighth inning, 10-3. Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits out a real pitch. He swings, and it's a high fly ball. Deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge bat flip to celebrate. All right, Ben, start the show already. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Flippin' Bats, and man, am I excited. It's that time of year, prediction time. I have been waiting. I have been waiting to get to this day. It is currently opening week. Opening week is upon us. We're going to do the National League preview today. We're going to go division by division, the NL East, the NL Central, the NL West. We're going to talk about storylines, bold predictions, the winner, the best offense, the best pitching staff. We're going to cover it all. But before we get into it, I just need to clarify how excited I am to finally get to this day where I can literally put my predictions on paper, tell you who I think is going to win. I didn't think a month ago we would be here today. But you know what? We are. It's opening week. The season starts on Thursday for most teams. I'm going to be at a real live baseball game. Baseball's back. You can feel it. And you know why you can feel it? Because predictions are back. And today, we're going to start with the National League. Today's day is the National League preview. So let's do it. And let's start with the NL East. Look, a lot of storylines for me here in the NL East, but each division, I'm going to give three of my main storylines. And the first of which in the National League East is the New York Mets pitching. And look, this one has already kind of taken a little bit of a turn with Jacob deGrom. But for me, it is the Mets pitching staff health. Jacob deGrom, when healthy, is the best pitcher on planet Earth. And it's not like an opinion. It's not, a, it's not like a bold prediction. That is fact. Jacob deGrom, when healthy, is the best pitcher in baseball. He's already hurt. We already don't exactly know What's going to happen with Jacob deGrom? We know he's going to miss opening day. We know he's going to miss probably a month or more of the season. I'm worried about Jacob deGrom. Max Scherzer steps up. Oh, yeah, they acquired Max Scherzer from the Dodgers. We get to watch him as a New York Met this year. Well, are we going to watch him on opening day? I don't know. It comes out literally the day after the deGrom news. It comes out that Scherzer's dealing with a little hamstring issue and wasn't going to make his last scheduled spring training start and then was going to test it out in a bullpen. So is he even going to start opening day? So one of my my key storylines to who's going to win the NL East is can the Mets pitching staff stay healthy? Because you look at it, you have Jacob deGrom, Max Scherzer, Chris Bassett, Carrasco, Tywin Walker, the names go on for them, but a great one, two, three. DeGrom, Scherzer, Chris Bassett. But now, it's already, we're, we're already looking at a struggle there. We're already looking at DeGrom missing time. When is Scherzer going to come back? So, for me, big factor in the NL East is this Mets pitching staff and how healthy they're going to be. Let's look at another storyline in the NL East. Matt Olson replacing Freddie Freeman. That's right, Freddie Freeman, the longtime Brave, the Brave legend. 
He is. Freddie Freeman was the face of the Atlanta Braves. He's gone. They did not re-sign him. He has gone to the Dodgers. So what did the Braves do? Well, the Braves, the Braves are coming off a World Series victory. The Braves are World Series champions. They lose Freddie Freeman. They get Matt Olson traded for him from the Oakland A's, traded for him, and then signed him to his long-term extension. Look, I love this. I love this Atlanta Braves team. Yes, you lose the face of your franchise. But I'm here to say right now that not only did the Braves replace Freddie Freeman, and, and look, it is impossible to replace a guy like that. You know, tit for tat, it is impossible to just, yeah, we're just going to bring him in. Freddie Freeman is one of the best first basemen in baseball, but so is Matt Olson. They trade for him. They extend him for years. They have their first baseman of the future. He is perhaps the best defensive first baseman in baseball. He hits absolute bombs. I was in Atlanta for the World Series. That chop house that they have up on the right field concourse is awesome. It's beautiful. Those sliding glass doors that they have are in jeopardy. Matt Olson will put some dents in that building. He is that good. Now, like I said a minute ago, you can't compare the two. He might be just a slight step back from Freddie Freeman right now. But for the future of this Braves team, you have to be excited about this move. Matt Olson is an Atlanta native from there, from the area. He's a Georgia guy. Now you get to add him to the team. I think this Braves team is better than the world championship team. That might be bold, but look, we'll talk about that a little later as well. But Matt Olson replaces Freddie Freeman in that lineup. Next storyline for me in the National League East, the Phillies. Can the Phillies pitch well enough to, to keep up with that offense? The Phillies offense, the Phillies lineup is elite. It just is. You add Nick Castellanos, you add Kyle Schwarber, you pair them with the reigning NL MVP, Bryce Harper. This lineup is dangerous. So can the pitching match the offense? Now, I'm not saying match it, like be as good. I think the Phillies offense has a chance to be a top five offense in baseball. I can't sit here right now and tell you that the Phillies pitching staff has a chance to be the top five in baseball. I don't believe that. But can they pitch well enough to just support the offense? And, and the answer for me is I believe they can. But that's a gigantic talking point. The Phillies, don't be mistaken. I know the Phillies, the Phillies haven't made the playoffs in a while. They have the second longest playoff drought only to the Mariners. Sorry, producer Conrad. Uh, he's a big Mariners fan. The second longest streak to the Mariners. Can they get in the playoffs this year? Well, I assure you, we're going to talk about all of that later. When, we, when I say NL preview, I'm going to talk division winners. I'm going to talk wildcard teams. I'm going to talk NL champion. So we'll get to all that later. But certainly a chance to win this division is the Phillies. And a big factor, a huge storyline in this NL East is what can the Phillies get from their pitching staff. Aaron Nola. Can he be back to what he was early on in his career when he looked like he was going to be an ace of a staff? Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler 
could have potentially won a Cy Young last year, has a little bit of an injury thing going on right now. How good is he? How good is he going to be? Ranger Suarez, what can you get? Kyle Gibson. The pieces are there for the rotation to be pretty good. There's just question marks. Question marks in the bullpen, question marks with health and how good consistency in the rotation. So big storyline for me. And the final storyline in the NL East is the Phillies pitching and how good can they be. Next thing I want to talk about in this division, some bold predictions. Some bold predictions in the NL East. And I'm going to give you three of them. First up, Ronald Acuna. And you may be saying, Acuna's hurt. What are you going to say, Ben? What's it going to be, Ben? I'm going to tell you. You're right. Acuna is hurt. But I don't think he's going to miss a lot of time. I think he's going to miss about a month of this season. Just about a month. So my bold prediction for you is that Ronald Acuna still finishes in the top three of the MVP voting. I think he comes back in a month. I think he dominates for the rest of the year. Look, we cannot forget this Atlanta Braves team won a championship without Ronald Acuna. In fact, their second half of the year and the trades they made is what got them to the playoffs and got them to the World Series. Acuna was an MVP candidate, the, the, a front runner for the MVP award when he went down just before the, before the All-Star break last year. So now here we are. He's going to miss about a month of the year. He's going to come back. And my bold prediction is that he finishes as an MVP finalist this year in the top three of the voting. Call me crazy. I still think he does great. I still think he can finish around 30 bombs, around 30 stolen bases. Well, you know what? He might not be running as much this year because of the injury. But the stats will be there. He's one of the best, most exciting players in the game of baseball. And I look for him to finish in the top three. Next up. Juan Soto of the Washington Nationals. Not talking a lot about the Nationals to this point in the NL East, but now we get to it. My bold prediction for you with Juan Soto is that he finishes as the leader in the National League in batting average, slugging percentage, on-base percentage, and OPS, on-base plus slugging. Just a clean sweep clean sweep across the board, add home runs to it. I think Juan Soto um, has the potential to put up an incredible, like historic offensive season. I think, in my opinion, Juan Soto is the best hitter in baseball. Now we saw it last year. Let's take a look back at what we saw last year. Before the All-Star break, he was good. He was really good. But the power numbers weren't quite there. So what did he say? Well, he said the opposite of what everybody always says. For years now, we've seen guys not participate in the home run derby because, well, it could affect my swing. Juan Soto, the best hitter in baseball, said, I'm going to be in the home run derby. I'm going to participate in the home run derby. I need to find my home run swing. What? That is wild. But you know what? He participated in the home run derby and then he was a man on a mission in the second half of the year. I mean, absolutely dominated. One of, the, one of the best halves offensively of a season that I have seen. He propelled himself into that MVP conversation, almost won it. I mean, what a year. But 
when you're talking about just hitting, and he has gotten better defensively. Don't get me wrong. He has. But when it comes to hitting, Juan Soto is the best, the best hitter in baseball. And I think he leads the league, the National League, in a bunch of offensive categories. So that is one of my NL East bold predictions. Next up, let's go back and talk about the Phillies. My bold prediction for the Phillies is that Bryce Harper, Nick Castellanos, and Kyle Schwarber, Nick Castellanos, friend of the pod, by the way, combine for 120-plus home runs. Now, I'll take the math out of this for you guys. I thought long and hard about this. For them to hit 120-plus homers, each of them would need to hit at least 40. That's the average. Somebody could hit 50, then one of the others could hit 30. But my prediction for those big three, Harper, Cassianos, and Schwarber, is that they hit 120-plus home runs. Now, a lot went into this. I think those guys are great. I think they're elite offensive guys. But Citizens Bank Park in Philly is a hitter's ballpark. I mean, a hitter's ballpark. When I was able to talk to Nick Castellanos in last year, uh, last year's conversation with him on Flipping Bats, we talked about how important it is for him to hit in a hitter-friendly ballpark. He came up in Detroit. That's where I got to know him in my time in the organization. And look, Detroit's deep right center field, Nick rakes to deep right center. He rakes everywhere. But he, his power, a lot of his power comes to that opposite field gap. And it was deep there. So he talked about how important it is for him to hit and to play and to sign with a hitter-friendly team, a hitter-friendly ballpark. And he did just that. So I think the power numbers we see from Nick this year in Philly are going to be insane. I think we all know what Kyle Schwarber can do. I think we all know what Bryce Harper can do. I like this a lot. This is bold. 120-plus home runs from three players in a lineup has only been done three times, I believe, in Major League Baseball history. But this lineup is is set up to do it. I mean, you have these three guys. That's that that's quite the trio. So Harper, Castellanos, Schwarber, 120 plus home runs is my third and final bold prediction for this NL East. But look, we're gonna do something fun throughout this episode today. We have a couple of people that work uh, that that work for Fox Sports with us that do some great writing for us. So all throughout this preview, this NL preview, we're gonna bring somebody on for each division to talk about that division with us, to talk some storylines, get their division winner. So let's do that now with the NL East. We're going to bring on Jordan Schusterman of the Cespedes Barbecue Boys, and let's bring him on right now. Jordan, first off, what's up? How are you doing? How excited are you that baseball is back this week? Did you think we'd be here a month ago? <laughs> oh, I, of course, I always try to stay optimistic. I know it was a wild, you know, emotional roller coaster for you, my friend as it was for me as well. But now opening day just a few days away, I'm feeling so, so, so good and so excited for the season. Perfect. Well, thank you for joining me. I know you're going to be watching a lot of NL East baseball this year. So I wanted to bring you on, talk a little bit about the NL East. And so if you were to think of some, some storylines for this year, three things to watch in the National League East, hit me with those things. What would they be? So, uh, look, this obviously we have the defending World Series champs, but I'm going to put them aside for a second and start with the Mets because the Mets are always 
the biggest, you know, drama filled organization every season. You never know what's going to happen with this team. And after spending all the money that they did, Steve Cohen going big with Max Scherzer, going big with Canna and Marte, and they're making trades for Chris Bassett. I just cannot wait to see how this Mets season unfolds. Obviously, we've already had some tough news with DeGrom uh, and Scherzer in the early going. But you just, you just, they're just the most unpredictable uh, organization, and now they have the expectations of contending for a World Series. So I just cannot wait to see what happens with the New York Mets, as always. Am, am I crazy for thinking, like, look, you, we've, we've heard the term for years, the, the Mets are going to Met. Look, yeah. Steve Cohen has come in and clearly been a different owner than we have ever seen before. And I'm tired of hearing that phrase. This Mets team, in my opinion, Jordan, is really, really good. And it is very unfortunate what has happened with DeGrom. And Scherzer's going to be fine. He might miss opening day. But I think they're a really good team. And if they can be just fine until DeGrom hopefully comes back at some point, this team has as good a shot as anybody in the NL East to win it and potentially the National League. I think they're really good. I agree with you. And that's kind of what's so amazing about all this stuff that always clouds them is that like when you just look at it on paper and you didn't know all the drama that always surrounds them, you'd be like, what are we talking about? This team is incredible. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think that that's and I think that, you know, in some ways that's earned um, and you have to kind of not give them the benefit of the doubt in that sense. But I, you're right, though. Like I, this is not to say that I don't think they're going to be good. I just can't wait to see how it unfolds. So that that would certainly uh, be one of them. Um, and we'll, okay. we'll get to the so Braves. We'll, we'll, yeah. yeah, I mean, another one. Yeah, so uh, what about the Phillies? Because for all the pressure that is on the Mets because they have spent so much money, I the Phillies have the second longest postseason drought in baseball behind only my beloved Seattle Mariners. Ten years. Yeah, we don't talk about that enough. We talk about the Mariners all the time, but we don't talk about the Phillies enough. Yeah, and and look, if the Mariners are their own their own situation, but it's not like the Phillies haven't been trying really hard for at least the last three or four years. They have spent a ton of money. They have made big trades and those moves have worked, right? You know, they paid Zach Wheeler and he's amazing. They paid Bryce Harper and he's amazing. They traded for real Muto. He's amazing. And now they're bringing in Castellanos and Schwarber, but it's just, it's, it's the, the, the bottom parts of the roster just haven't been there. And I have to imagine for a Philadelphia fan base that it's not exactly the most patient. Now's the time, man, and it's a tough division, but they they really got to make something happen this year. And I I think I think that might I think it might happen. I think that they could really be in that mix, whether it's for the division or the wild card. I'm feeling pretty good about the Phillies. Where this is, I'll just put it to you simply: Can they pitch well enough? We know they're going to rake. Can they pitch well enough? Yeah, man. I mean, the, the starting rotation, like, should be pretty good. I mean, obviously, you got Nolan Wheeler. Ranger Suarez, one of the more underrated pitchers in the National League. Kyle Gibson, if anything, you know exactly what you're going to get from him. They spent a lot of money on the bullpen. They, they decided to go, I mean, which makes sense after the last few years, to go get guys who have done it. Now, these guys are maybe past their primes a little bit. Jury's Familia, Brad Hand, guys like that. I think that they can. And honestly, when your offense could be as good as this offense is, I, I don't know how they might just be able to outscore people, but it is, it is, trust me, I'm, I'm still worried about it. I, I won't believe it till I see it, but I, I think that this team is good enough to, to at least stay in the mix for, for the rest of the year. Hey, I'm, I'm with you there. I'm with you. All right. Uh, any more, any more storylines for us? Something you're watching in the national league East? Yeah. Let's talk about the Marlins. I mean, this team, obviously they're, they're spending a fraction of, of what these other teams in the division are spending. And that is always going to be a problem. And that's, that's their, like they, they've made that decision. And obviously Derek Jeter left 
possibly due to stuff related to that. But it's not like they didn't get a lot better this offseason. You know, they made some big trades, bringing in veteran guys like Jacob Stallings, Joey Wendell. And then they did spend some money with Avisal Garcia and Jorge Soler. I really like this Marlins team. You talk about, you know, can the Phillies pitch? It's really going to be about can the Marlins hit? I mean, their, their pitching has been so good the last couple of years, and the lineup has just been so brutal. But if you bring in a guy like Soler, you bring in a guy like Garcia, obviously Jazz, who I'll get to in a little bit, like, I, I would love to see them hang around. I think this is one of the more fun teams to watch in the league. Um, and I, I think that it is a tough task to hang with these other teams that are spending literally double what they're spending or triple <laughs> in the Mets case. Uh, but I, I think I'm feeling pretty good about it. And they still have even more young pitching on the way, which we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah, we're not talking a lot about the Marlins. That's a good point. And is this far-fetched to say that in – three years let's say the marlins have the best rotation in baseball is that a far-fetched statement no i mean i think they're already a lot closer to them when we think and we know that you know they, they got sandy alcantara to sign a long-term extension but i mean and, and they they did it last year and Sixto didn't throw a pitch you know he he was hurt and and that's sure. going to be big to see if he can come back from injury but i i really like and, and it plays to their park it's it's a pitcher friendly park and they, they, if anything, they have developed those arms. It's, it's really going to be about finding, finding the bats. And obviously they got some in free agency, but they're going to have to have some other, other hitters like JJ Bladé really step up this year because the offense has been what's lacking. All right. So I'm going to put you on the spot now, Jordan, who wins the national league East this year? We got some, we got, we got a lot of good teams in the NL East. It's going to be a great division who you got taken at home. Well, look, I, I talk about all these other teams. It's still the Braves. And honestly, look, this is a team uh, that my good friend Jake Mintz uh, wrote about after we, we, we did our stop in Braves camp uh, during spring training. This team on paper is now looking better than they did when they just won the World Series last year. Yes, we can debate, you know, letting Freeman go for Olsen, whatever. At the very least, Olsen is close, if not capable of being as good, if not even better than Freeman this year, not to mention the other upgrades they made on the roster, particularly in the bullpen. Hopefully we got Acuna back for at least 80% of the season. This team should still be really, really, really good. And I'm, I'm just going with the depth there because I think that their lineup, their continuity in general, even beyond Freeman leaving is, is still excellent. And I think that they're the deepest and, and clearly the team I think we can trust the most to be the most consistent as they were last year, even though they were relatively disappointing in the regular season, they obviously got hot at the right time. So I'm sticking with Atlanta. All right, so Jordan, I, I'm pumped you're joining me because we're doing a full deep dive into the National League, a National League preview. We'll get to the American League tomorrow, but I'm going division by division. We're talking NL East. So let me preface this this way. If, if you were to pick some players in the National League East and there's a casual fan of baseball that doesn't watch a ton of NL East baseball, if you had to pick three players to watch three players that you need to watch in the national league east who would it be so let's start with jazz i mentioned him earlier i mean this dude is is incredible and and i think the reason why i'm so excited about jazz this year is not just because he's clearly established himself as a major leaguer um with miami but now he's got some help right and he's got some guys that can also feed off of his energy and feed off of his personality guys like solaire guys like garcia maybe some of the other young players that are coming up and i'm so excited to see 
him, you know, lead the team and not just be kind of this one man show that he's been over the last couple of seasons. I think that he, just in terms of what he's capable of doing with speed and power, there are very few players like Jazz Chisholm Jr. So super excited about Jazz. I think that would absolutely be be one of them. Uh, I would say the next yeah. one is, I mean, look, I'm still, I'm still sorry. Look, it's Juan Soto. Everyone knows who Juan Soto is, but I think what I'm most excited yeah. about for him this year is, look, the Nats lineup could struggle. It really could. And I, I'm more optimistic about the Nats lineup than most, but they they could struggle. And I just – the dude's 23 years old, but I don't know if he's already going to be getting the Barry Bonds treatment. I, I, I think he might, but I also think that he's getting better every year. He is capitalizing on the pitches he does get better every year. And I just can't wait to see what this batting line ends up being, even if the RBIs are a little bit lower than what they would be <laughs> on a team with a better with a better lineup. Uh, so that would be another one. And then one more that I, okay. I want to mention is, is Starling Marte. And the reason why, why I want to mention Starling Marte is because this guy is obviously a big free agent acquisition for the Mets. But when you think about his career, and all due respect to the teams I'm about to name, but when you think about the markets that he's been playing in, Pittsburgh, Arizona, Miami, Oakland, right? I mean, that is not necessarily, those are not necessarily big stages. I know he made some postseason back with Pittsburgh early on. Now he's on the Mets. People are going to know who Starling Marte is, and there's going to be a lot of pressure on him for a Mets team that has been desperate to have some sort of competent center fielder for a long time, and he should be exactly that. And I just cannot wait for, for like for him to be go this far into his career without people really knowing who he is. It's just, I think, a, a factor of, of who he's been playing for. Uh, but he's, a, he's an amazing player, and I think he's, he's really going to help them, and I think a lot of people are going to know Starling Marte by the end of the season. Great answer. So Jazz Chisholm. The Miami Marlins, Juan Soto, Washington Nationals, and Starling Marte, New York Mets. I like that. So this, before I let you go, another question for you. This one I'm excited to ask you to really get inside your mind here. Peel back some layers. I know you're kind of, you, you guys like to, you guys know the deep depths of the rosters, the prospects coming up. So I'm excited to talk to you about this. If you had to pick three players under the radar, rookies, that you're really excited to watch, that everybody should know their name, who would you pick? So, yeah, I'll, I'll stick with guys who we will see. I'm almost positive we will see in the big leagues this year. There are so many yeah. prospects that are exciting that we can we can name. But let's go back to Miami. We talked about all the young pitching. I think Max Meyer is going to make an impact for them sooner rather than later. I mean, they already have a lot of young arms in their staff, so they I don't know how quickly they're going to turn to him. But this is a guy who was a top five pick uh, a few years ago out of the University of Minnesota. Fantastic athlete, one of the best sliders in all the minor leagues. And I know his numbers last year were good, not great. But I think this is one of the better pitching prospects in baseball. Not that the Marlins need another one of those, but I think that he is going to impact um, the, the team this year uh, and probably very early in the season. And you will certainly be seeing him on Pitching Ninja and everything, certainly for that slider. But the rest of the stuff is very good uh, as well. So okay. Max Meyer is absolutely one that I, I'm, I'm super excited about. Uh, the next guy is also uh, an, an MM alliteration, and we just got the news that he is going to be on the team, and that's Mickey Moniak. Now, is it a hot take to, to say look out for the number one overall pick? Well, if you're Mickey Moniak, I think it kind of is because of what his career has been <laughs> thus far in Philadelphia uh, because he struggled. But the thing is, is this is not a prospect who has been given a full season and has fallen on his face, right? He only has like 50, 55, you know, big league plate appearances. And he's, he's been bad in those. I'm not, I'm not taking, you know, that's, that's a fact, right? He really struggled last year in his brief call-up. But he's looked so good this spring training. He's still just 23. 
I mean, this dude could still be playing college baseball in the year of now where we have a bunch of 23 and 24 year olds playing college. Like this guy's still really young. Obviously the Philly center field has been a question uh, for much of the spring training. Maybe he ends up platooning with Veerling. Maybe he gets a starting job, but I really just want to see Mickey Mo get a shot because I think he's finally earned it. And also, you know, the pressure won't really be on him as much. When you talk about the rest of this lineup, all he's going to have to do is probably Good bat, point. you know, sixth, seventh, or eighth and just show out, right? It's not like, oh my God, we need Mickey Mo to be the best player on the team. Not even close, right? It, the pressure is right. not there. And, and I'm super excited uh, uh, for him. So Mickey Mo is definitely on my, on my radar as well. Okay. Um, one more. I got one more for you. All right. All right, hit me. Now, I, I did. I know I already kind of said that the Nats lineup is not going to be very good. However, in a world where the Nats lineup is decent, <laughs> it will rely very much on catcher Kybert Ruiz. And this is a dude who his numbers in the minor leagues as a catcher, and they, of course, got him in the big, you know, Scherzer Turner blockbuster last year. This is, this is a guy, you know, we do not expect catchers to hit really at all anymore, right? We have like five to seven catchers who we remotely expect to put up good numbers and everyone else it's like, all right, dude, just squat behind the plate and, and keep the ball in front of you yeah. and focus on the pitching staff. But this dude can rake. And as a switch hitting catcher, I believe he's also still 22, 23. The Nationals are, are in such a weird spot where, you know, in some ways they're clearly rebuilding. In other ways, they're handing Nelson Cruz a big free agent contract. But I think if the Nationals are going to hang around and it's going to take a lot more than just Kyber Ruiz, but I think he can make an impact immediately. I think his, his bat-to-ball skills are as good as any young player in the minors, just like Juan Soto. And I think he could really be immediately part of, of, of the middle of that lineup. And, and it's, it's going to take more than him. But if, if he can make an impact immediately, I think the Nats can be a little better than, than we expect. Jordan, thank you so much for joining me, man. Hey, we're talking National League today. AL tomorrow. I'm going to bring you back on, talk some AL West tomorrow, your beloved wait. Seattle Mariners. So thank you for joining me today. Um, anybody, you, you can check the, his work out with the Cespedes Barbecue on Twitter. Jake, Jordan, those guys are great. So check him out. Jordan, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Can't wait for tomorrow. All right. Just wanted to thank Jordan again for joining me. Appreciate that. That was a fun conversation. Look, for every division during this NL preview, and we're going to do it again on tomorrow's episode of the AL preview. But for every division, I want to go through a top offense in the division, the top pitching staff in the division, the, the best newcomer of the division, and then, of course, who I believe will win the division. So let's start with the top offense in the NL East, who I think is the top offense. And the answer is the Philadelphia Phillies. I just talked about it. Uh, in my bold predictions a little while ago, this offense is elite, and there's no question about it. They were already good, and then you add Nick Castellanos, you add Kyle Schwarber. I mean, this big three in that lineup is going to be really, really good. And then there's other names in that lineup. It's not just those guys. You look at the depth they have. Bryson Stott is a top prospect for them. He's going to play this year. Mickey Moniak is going to be really good. Former first overall pick, but hasn't exactly panned out to this point. In spring training, he has been raking. Alec Bohm, I think, could step up and be better this year. I like the Phillies lineup a lot. JT Real Muto, the best catcher in baseball in my, uh, in my top catchers of the year that we did a little while ago. Reese Hoskins, friend of the podcast. 
one of the first guests on this show. I mean, the depth is there. If you want to just look at three guys, if you want to look at the, the elite of the elite, you have Cassiano, Schwarber, Harper. And then you look at the depth of this lineup. They could realistically be hitting Reese Hoskins in the six hole. That's wild. And that is nothing against Reese Hoskins and who he is as a hitter. That just shows the depth of this Phillies team. So like I said earlier, a storyline for them is going to be, can they pitch? Well, the reason that was the case is because we know they're going to hit. And when it comes to the National League East, in my opinion, the top lineup is the Philadelphia Phillies. So let's talk about top pitching staff now. Who has the top pitching staff in the National League East? It's the New York Mets. Got to go with the Mets. Look, I know there's a little injury thing happening right now with Jacob deGrom, but still, let's look at what it is. Let's look at what it's going to be for opening day. They're going to have Chris Bassett. They're going to have Max Scherzer. They're going to have Tywin Walker, Carlos Carrasco. They're good. And then at some point this year, Jacob deGrom will come back, who is the best pitcher in baseball. So in the National League East, the best pitching staff is the New York Mets. When it comes to all of baseball, the New York Mets have a top three pitching staff. So this one was a no-brainer for me. This pitching staff, it's, it's deep. It's really good. Chris Bassett is an all-star. They have him as their number three pitcher. Now, this is, assume, this is when Jacob deGrom is going to be healthy. But Chris Bassett, they just pick up in a trade from Oakland. Really good there. I like this pitching staff a lot. I really do. I think, I think it has the potential. If they can be healthy going into the playoffs, they can beat anybody. When you, have a t- when you have a one, two, three in a rotation that is as elite as they do, you can beat anybody in the playoffs. So hopefully they can get healthy quickly. I don't know how, De- how, how long DeGrom is going to be out, but I hope they can get fully healthy quickly because this, this pitching staff is great. It's elite. It's one of the best in baseball, and it's one of the best we've seen in a long time. So New York Mets, best pitching rotation. Top newcomer in the NL East. Now, let me explain this. What do I mean by top newcomer? Well, I could go with a rookie that's coming up that's going to make a big impact. I could go with a guy that's been traded. I could go with a free agent pickup. Any direction here, just basically a newcomer to the division. And for the NL East, I'm going to go with Nick Cassianos, friend of the podcast. Uh, I think his, his welcoming of the Phillies is going to have the biggest impact on this division. I think he went from Look, they signed Kyle Schwarber, and at the time I had tweeted, I know Dave Dombrowski from his days with the Tigers. I know he works in silence. I know he's going to do something. And then a couple days later, he makes me look good and signs Kyle Schwarber. Right as that happened, I tweeted out immediately after, I don't think he's done. I still think he's going to do something. And then Nick Castellanos came along. One of the biggest offseason pieces. One of the biggest free agents. Nick Castellanos joins the Phillies, joins the NL East, and for me, he is my newcomer of the year in the NL East and pushes that Phillies team over the top, pushes them to be a good team and potentially compete for a wild card spot. Do I think they'll get there? Well, we'll talk about that a little later in this NL preview. But that leads me to the NL East division winner and who I think 
is going to be the cream of the crop and take home that title in the NL East. And it's going to be the Atlanta Braves. You have the top offense being the Phillies, the top pitching staff being the Mets, but the division winner being the reigning champs, the Atlanta Braves. Um, I, I, like I said, I like this team a lot. I think they filled the void of Freddie Freeman perfectly. I don't think they could have done better. Matt Olson comes in, joins that team. Ronald Acuna is going to be back at some point in the year, hopefully pretty quickly. About a month into the season is what we're hearing. Might DH first for a little while and then move back out to the outfield where he shines and is an absolute star. Uh, Mike Soroka, who a lot of people forget about because he was one of the best young up-and-coming arms in the game of baseball, was an all-star in 2019. He's been out due to an Achilles injury, and then a re-tearing of the Achilles injury, which just is awful. The more I like talk about it, that's, he tore his Achilles and then re-tore it as he was rehabbing it. Just a nightmare. But he will be back at some point this year. I just had him on the show a couple of weeks ago. What an awesome conversation that was. But he's excited for this year. He's excited to get back. Max Fried, I think, takes another jump. I think he becomes a Cy Young candidate. I'm not going to sit here and say Max Fried is going to win the NL Cy Young this year, but I think he propels himself and becomes a candidate. We saw what he did in the World Series in the biggest game of his life, and he shined. I like him a lot. I like the Braves all around. I think they have a good pitching staff. I think the addition of Kenley Jansen at the back end of the bullpen is really good for them. I think it added some much, much needed depth in that bullpen. A guy that you can count on to to be good back there. Look, we all know Kenley Jansen. He had, he had a year or two where he was a struggle, and then last year he was great. The Dodgers didn't re-sign him. The Braves did. Great pickup for them. Look, this Atlanta Braves team, I'm not overthinking this one. The rest of the division is great. The other teams got better. The Mets got better. The Marlins got better. The Phillies got better. But I am not going to overthink this. The Atlanta Braves win the NL East in 2022 and get back into the playoffs and try and, and, try and go back-to-back in the World Series. Can they do it? I don't know, but division champs, Atlanta Braves. That does it for the NL East. Now let's move on to the NL Central. And as we did in the NL East, let's start with the storylines. Storylines of the NL Central. And first and foremost for me, Jack Flaherty. The health of Jack Flaherty with the St. Louis Cardinals. Jack Flaherty is an elite pitcher in this game. He came on the scene, dominated, was really good. He's kind of been plagued by some injuries over the last year. I don't like that one bit. He's really good. I faced him in the minor leagues when he was with Palm Beach in the Cardinals, and I was with the Tigers. We faced each other. He's really good. He's really good. This pitching staff needs Jack Flaherty, and I mean needs. Other than that, you're looking at a 40-year-old 40, 40 Adam Wainwright as the best pitcher, which he's still good, but they need Jack Flaherty. This pitching staff does. The offense will be good. What is the health going to be like from Jack Flaherty? That's a big storyline for me in the NL Central. Another one. Let's move on to the next storyline and talk about Willie Adamas. Willie Adamas with the Milwaukee Brewers. Former teammate of mine, one of, one of my favorite teammates that I've ever played with, truly an incredible guy, was with the Tampa Bay Rays last year. Was pretty good, I would say with the Rays, then goes to the Brewers and proceeds to be like the best shortstop in baseball for a period of time. I mean, was dominant. And then got hurt and in the playoffs wasn't quite as good. 
But Willie Adamas, this Brewers team is going to go as Willie Adamas goes. And that, that can be a bold thing to say. But they need him to be that player that he was when he came over. So how good will Willie Adamas be? He's the shortstop of the Milwaukee Brewers. They need him. They need him offensively to take that next step. He's shown flashes of greatness throughout his career. I saw it when I played with him. There's just guys that you play with that you see and you're like, this guy's going to be a star. This guy is just a freak athlete, a freak of a baseball player. He was one of those guys. All the power in the world. A bazooka for a right arm. Good with, good with the glove. So can he take that next step as a big leaguer now? He's shown that he can be a good infielder. And he's shown flashes that he can be an elite shortstop. I think the Brewers need him to take that next step and go from being a pretty good player in the major leagues to being a great player consistently in the major leagues. The Brewers need that. They need that bad. Next storyline for me, and let's stick with this Brewers team. The big three of the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, what do I mean by big three? Their pitching staff. Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta. Last year, they were all elite, all of them. For me, this Milwaukee Brewers team revolves around them. That rotation is this Milwaukee Brewers team. So, that's why, that's why I talk about Adamas. They need some guys to step up offensively. But a storyline for me is, can this Brewers big three, Burns, Woodruff, Peralta, can they be just as good or better than last year? I don't know, but I feel like they need them to be. This team goes as they go. They can't really afford for them to take a step back. They can't afford for the reigning Cy Young winner, Corbin Burns, to take a step back, for Woodruff to take a step back, for Peralta to. They need their guys to be the guys. You know? They need guys to be guys. That's what they need. That's a big storyline for me because they do not have, in my opinion, the best offense in this division. We'll get to that in a little while. But we need the rotation to step up. On to bold predictions in the National League Central. Some bold predictions. Let's see where I want to start. First up, that Milwaukee Brewers team I was just talking about and the Cardinals are going to both win 90-plus games. Now, that's bold. That's a bold statement. Why? Well, last I checked, their expected win total, the Brewers was around 89.5, I believe, and the Cardinals was a little lower at around like 82, 83 in that area. That's what makes this bold. I believe both of them win 90-plus games. Now, why do I think that? Why do I think the Cardinals are going to be better than their win total? Well, a couple of reasons. One, this division is not good beyond those two. Cubs, Pirates, Reds, there's a lot of wins to come by. You play everybody in your division 19 times. That's 19 games for each of them against not just not average teams, against bad teams, to be quite honest with you. So that's a big reason for this. I wouldn't predict this in many other divisions. I just think the, the strength of schedule in this division allows those top two teams to be really good. 
I also think the Cardinals are a little better than people are giving them credit for. And if Jack Flaherty can come back and be good, like was one of my storylines, that makes them even better. I think they have a good chance when all is said and done to be around that 90 win mark. So, first bold prediction, Milwaukee and St. Louis, 90 plus wins. Next up, sticking with the Cardinals, Tyler O'Neill of the St. Louis Cardinals makes his first All-Star game. If you don't know, now you know. You need to learn the name. If you don't know the name Tyler O'Neill, learn it. He is becoming one of the best left fielders in the game of baseball. He's young. He has biceps bigger than anybody could ever dream of having. He's young. He's fast. He hits for power. He's really, really good. So my bold prediction is that Tyler O'Neill makes his first All-Star game in Major League Baseball and, and quickly becomes known as one of the best left fielders in baseball. I think this is the year he becomes that elite name. Next up, my final bold prediction for the NL Central. Seiya Suzuki, newcomer from Japan. He's made the journey to the Major League Baseball. And my bold prediction is that not only does he, you know, he's already made a splash. He's a big signing. The Chicago Cubs make a big signing. He's over from Japan where he was a stud, multi-time all-star. My bold prediction for 2022 is that Seiya Suzuki hits 30-plus home runs. 30-plus. That's a lot in Chicago because you never know what you're going to get. If the wind's blowing out, you could hit three a day, but the wind doesn't normally blow out. It normally blows in. It's a tough place to hit bombs when the wind's blowing in. I think he, I think, I like him a lot. I've seen him a lot. I've watched a lot of his video from over in Japan. I've watched him hit in spring training. I've watched the home run he hit the other day in spring training. This guy has pop. When you hear pop, he's got it. Seiya Suzuki, 30-plus home runs, is my final bold prediction for the NL Central. I love that. I like these bold predictions. I like them a lot. All right, like we did with the NL East. We're going to bring on a guest now. The, the second half of the Cespedes Barbecue Boys, Jake Mintz. So let's bring in Jake right now. Jake, welcome on in. Thank you so much for joining me, dude. How pumped are you that it is opening week and we can finally talk about real baseball in a couple of days? You can smell it in the air. The vibe is different. Spring has sprung. The flowers are blooming. There's pollen. That's all I know. You know, I got bad pollen allergies. So when you feel the pollen in your sinuses, you know opening day is right around the corner. You know it's around the corner. That's right. So well, thank you for joining me. Um, let's talk some NL Central. So I want to start with some storylines, storylines in the NL Central. And yeah, so I want to ask you a few. So let's start with your first one. What would be the first storyline, in your opinion, in the NL Central this year? Christian Yelich. I think he is the player that will most kind of dictate how this division turns out he was one of the best five players on planet earth in 2018 when he won the mvp in 2019 when he finished second to cody bellinger then in 2020 he was meh in, tw in uh, 2021 he really took a step back was slightly below average at the plate and whether he comes out and is the 2019 version of himself or is the 2021 version of himself will dictate how the brewers go how the brewers offense goes and how the brewers offense goes is going to dictate how the entire division pans out because we know their pitching can really throw the ball. So Yelich is the key to the entire division for me. He had 
a significantly higher ground ball rate last year than he did at any other year in his career. He was 12th in baseball by ground ball percentage. And for a guy who hit 44 home runs in 2019, that's a big problem, right? So I did my my prediction for who would be the top five left fielders in the game this year. And I actually put Christian Yelich in there. So I think he has a little of a little bit of a bounce back. I don't know where you feel there. I feel like a lot of people have lumped him and Cody Bellinger into the same category. Great in 2019, really not not at all that great sense. But I feel better about Christian Yelich returning to at least a little bit of form this year than I do Cody Bellinger. Is that is that far-fetched to say? Yeah, I think the biggest difference between the two over the last few years is we Yelich hasn't bottomed out. Like the worst version of Yelich was a slightly below league average player where the worst right. version of Bellinger is abys- it's unplayable, right? And I think because of that, Yelich returning to, I could see Yelich being like a three win player, but I don't really see him being an MVP candidate ever again. Whereas for Bellinger, he could be the best hitter in the national league, or he could be in triple a by June. And there's just a lot more volatility there. But I think I can't envision Yelich being horrible right now. He had back injuries at the beginning of last season. He's since said that he was healthy in the second half, which is honestly more concerning. I it would prefer if he was hurt because it would kind of explain what's going on. Yeah. The most important thing is that he is aware of the issue. He understands the issue is that he's not getting the ball in the air to the same extent. He's still hitting the ball just as hard. He's just not lifting it. And that's his game, right? He gets so low in his legs and he's able to get loft behind the ball. And once he starts doing that again, I think he'll be able to regain some of his form. Maybe he just needs to do the Juan Soto treatment and just like enter the home run derby so he can find his home run swing again. Um, all right, let's let's uh, another storyline. What what can you hit me with here? Cardinals goodbye tour, man. It is uh, Pujols is obviously back in St. Louis, but I think Pujols's return has overshadowed that this is Molina's last run. He has meant so much to that franchise over the last almost two decades, and announced before the season last year that. 2022 is going to be it for him. So with him and Wainwright and Pujols all being there in St. Louis, re- either above 40 or just below 40 in Molina's case, it's a pretty incredible thing. I'm interested whether it's going to be a heroic goodbye for them or whether it'll kind of be one of the more sad, lifeless goodbyes. Like Jer- like Derek Jeter's last season, people don't remember this. The Yankees were not good. They didn't make the playoffs. That walk-off single <laughs> against the Orioles was like the – last week of September they didn't make it right I would like to see these guys in the postseason one last time um but what's most interesting to me is that whether they get a good goodbye tour or a bad goodbye tour is really up to the other guys because the pitching is a huge question mark for the Cardinals um so we'll see how those things pan out it's not good if your best pitcher is 40 right that's impressive for Adam Wainwright but it's not a a good sign for the Cardinals I agree and and I want to ask you this, and it's kind of, you know, it's kind of along, it is along this topic, but more of an opinion-based thing. How do you feel about goodbye tours, farewell tours in general? Love them. Love them. You, you, people should okay. get the roses when they can still smell them for me. I honestly don't think we do enough <laughs> goodbye tours. I don't think we do enough goodbye tours. Like, I, to me, I think of Jay Bruce's end to his career with the Yankees last year, where he was terrible for New York for the first month or so. And after a decade plus, almost 15 years of big league time, 
He just said he was done in the post-game conference and he was very anticlimactic. If you play in anywhere, any city for a significant period of time, you deserve a goodbye tour. I think more players deserve that. We, I think the bar is too high. Wow. It doesn't need to be just Hall of Famers. Wow. You know what? Okay, great example of this. Alex Avila last year in his last game with the Nats. Do you remember this? They gave him a standing ovation in his last game. He played 50 games with the Nats ever. And it was his last game and Zimmerman's last game. And they somehow got looped together. Loved it. Give everyone a standing O at the end of their careers. <laughs> okay. No, okay. I, I will disagree with ben, you. Okay. So Ben, think, think about it like this. Is... Ben, I want, I want you to think about it like this. If you got a standing O your last game in Lakeland, Florida, that you would still think about that. You would still think about that. That would yeah. mean something to you, right? Yeah. I probably did because I punched out three times as of the away team and everybody was standing, cheering for me, yelling at me about how much I suck. But that, that's a different story. Um, I would say the bar is too low because I'm talking about, I'm talking about tours, like a tour, like, like what Mariano Rivera got and what Albert's going to get. And I think guys like uh, like a Tiger Woods should get an MJ. I think the bar for a tour is too low. Give him a standing O. I, I absolutely love that. Do that to, to anybody you want. Do it to Alex Avila if he played 50 games with your team. I'm totally fine with that. But but a tour, that just seems that seems like a You're a saying like the gifts. Um, you have an issue with the gift the gifts. before That's every game. Exactly. Yes. Yes. I have no issue All with right, the gift so, giving. I uh, think more gifts. Every day is Christmas. <laughs> every player should get one gift. They do this when in like the World Cup, right before the games in the World Cup, each country yeah. kind of brings like a totem or an item and they swap them. Yeah. Just every game. I want that every game. We need more secret Santas in Major League Baseball. <laughs> all right. All right. That's all right. That's that's the that's the tour <laughs> conversation for today. Let's move on to another storyline that you might have for us in the NL Central. All right. So my last storyline is that this division could really suck. And if you look at Fangraph's win projections and average number of wins by division, the NL Central is the lowest at around 78 average wins per team, right behind the AL Central, which is around 79 wins per team. And that's just because there are a few divisions in baseball where there are three teams that could be really, really bad. The Cardinals and the Brewers are going to be pretty good, probably in the upper 80 win range, and they'll compete for the division. But the Cubs, Reds, and Pirates, you can envision them winning 65 games, right? So I'm interested to see what the bottom of the division looks like and whether one of those teams is a little bit better than we expect or what the redeemable things within those teams are for the season. Okay. I like that. I like that a lot. Are there any of those three teams that you mentioned, Pirates, Reds, Cubs, that you think – and when I say surprise, I don't want you to – like I'm not saying like could compete for a yeah. playoff spot, but are there any of those teams that could finish around 500, maybe slightly better? Is that a chance? I think the Cubs, for me, if I had to pick one of those three teams, they had a lot of surprising breakout players last year after they traded away the core of the 2016 team. Patrick Wisdom was great. Uh, Frank Schwindel was really good for them. Rafael Ortega was surprisingly solid. And into that mix, they're going to add Clint Frazier, who's a guy I'm very interested in. Kyle Hendricks is solid. They signed Marcus Stroman. This team is not good yet, that's for sure. They signed Seiya Suzuki. He could be outstanding. I, I just think the – like a – the ideal season for them is 83 wins, which gets them on the right path. Maybe they sign a big free agent next year, right? Maybe Carlos Correa opts out. Maybe Carlos Correa, yeah. <laughs> you know? So I think the Cubs of those three teams are set up the best. I think the Reds are a catastrophe. I think they 
They had the most disappointing offseason of any team. If they had made a couple of additions, they could have pushed to be in the mix. They were, you know, true value 84 win team last year. They could have gotten in the postseason last year with the expanded field. And instead of taking a step forward, they took a step back. Pirates, just one more inch forward on the rebuilding year. And there's finally starting to see some of those pieces. O'Neill Cruz, Cabrian Hayes, maybe Mitch Keller start to break out. And we'll see what the next good Pirates team looks like. All right. So you mentioned a lot of good names there around the division, a few different teams. The, the question I want to ask you now is, who are you most excited about watching in the NL Central this year? All right, I'll give you three names. Number one is Willie Adamas. Willie Adamas, after being traded from Tampa to Milwaukee, was the best hitter in the world for like a month and a half. Uh, he got hurt towards yeah. the end, wasn't the same player in October for the Brewers when they got smacked around by the Braves. But Adamas, I'm curious whether he is the 160 OPS guy, OPS plus guy, or whether he's kind of further to league average. So he's definitely one guy to watch. Former teammate of yours, one of my favorite dudes, high energy, always smiling, good to be around. Uh, Next guy is Mitch Keller. He was one of the top prospects, a pitcher for the Pirates, throws incredibly hard. He had an ERA above six, one of the least lucky pitchers if you look at his expected outs and runs and home runs and things like that uh he's been throwing 98 99 in spring training so hoping he has uh what me and jordan were calling a 2019 lucas giolito year uh and then the last guy i'm super interested in is actually tommy fam who signed with the reds a couple weeks ago fam still hitting the ball incredibly hard still making really good swing decisions at the plate just was hurt had a bad run of form in san diego and i'm just interested if he can revive his career one of the most hard luck players in recent history, the Cardinals had him in the minor leagues for a decade before he made his debut, I think oh. at age 28 or 29. Um, and he was just a free agent for the first time. And if he had gotten up earlier, he would have got more money, been a younger player in free agency. So I'm just hoping that he's able to kind of rejuvenate his career with the playing time he'll receive in Cincinnati, maybe get traded to a contender at the deadline. Okay. I like that. And one more yeah. question for you before you go. Um, I know I, I read all of you guys' stuff, Jake and Jordan Cespedes. If, if you guys don't, go check out their stuff. But you, you really get inside the weeds of baseball. You know all the top prospects. You know all the rosters. You know every single player there is to know. So my question for you here, if there's people listening that are tuning in for baseball, they know the game well, um, but they don't exactly know all the players, who are three guys in this division, rookies, under-the-radar guys, that you need to know their name. Okay. I'll start off with Hunter Green. He's a rookie. He's not, he's about as famous as a prospect can be. He was the number two overall pick back in 2018, 17 or 18, 18. Um, and 17, 17. And he was like crazy two way guy, Southern California shortstop, throwing 100 miles an hour. Reds took him second overall, decided to put him on the mound. He blew out, got Tommy John, came back, somehow throwing even harder. He's been outstanding in the minor leagues. He is just pitchery as it gets. He'll instantly be one of the hardest throwing starters in baseball. So he's on Cincy. That team's going to be bad, but he'll be fun to watch. So that's one. Second guy <laughs> I'm really interested in is uh, Lars Newtbar. Are you familiar with Lars Newtbar, Ben? I am. One of the greatest, one of the best names in baseball. But yes, I am familiar with this guy. 
just an athletic bench outfielder for the Cardinals. He's pretty fast. He's got some real power. I think he's going to play a lot of outfield for them, come probably their fourth outfielder off the bench. And is he an all-star? No. Is he a starter? No. Is his name Lars Newtbar? Yes. And that's something that you can get behind. So watch some Lars Newtbar this year. And then the last guy is okay. Yoshi Tsutsugo, who the Tampa Bay Rays signed from Japan a couple years ago. Big first base DH type, like big freaking dude. And he was bad, 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 bad for the race. Latched on with the Dodgers for a couple weeks and then went to Pittsburgh at the end of the last year and was outstanding for them down the stretch, kind of figured things out in the bigs. I'm going to be really interested to see if he can keep that going because he he can hit. He had some crazy power numbers in Japan, and the Pirates are a good place to try and regain some form. Okay. I love it. Before I, before I let you go, the big question, Jake, I'm going to put you on the spot. NL Central, who wins it? Boring answer. I'm going to go with the Pirates. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm going to go with the Brewers. <laughs> I, I think the Brewers pitching – is one of the best single units in baseball, let alone, you know, definitely in the division. I believe in St. Louis's offense more than I believe in Milwaukee's. I believe in Milwaukee's hitting more than I believe in St. Louis's pitching. I think the two through five starters for the Cardinals, super shaky. Jack Flaherty is going to be out for a while. I just think the Brewers know how to win baseball games without scoring a ton of runs. So I'm going to go with Milwaukee. Perfect. Jake. Thank you so much for joining me, man. Big day, NL preview tomorrow. We're going to bring you back on for the AL preview and talk a little American League baseball. But for today, thank you so much for joining me, man. Appreciate it. A a pleasure and a privilege, man. All right, and I wanted to thank Jake again for joining me. Another good conversation. And now we're on to the top lineup, top pitching staff, best newcomer, division winner, So let's start with the top lineup, my top lineup of the NL Central. I'm going to take the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, this is a tough one. I could have gone back and forth here. The Cardinals were in contention here. But look, I will take that Cardinals lineup over the Brewers. And and look, they're better than the other three. This division isn't very deep. There's, There's two people involved here, the Brewers or the Cardinals. I like what the Cardinals have done. I, like I said earlier, Tyler O'Neill, I think is going to make his first All-Star game. I think he's going to be the first. I think he's going to be the best left fielder in baseball. I think he's going to emerge as an elite player in this game. Pair that with Nolan Arenado, who is now going to have his second season in St. Louis. Paul Goldschmidt, who's good. Dylan Carlson, the young guy that I think is going to just take an, a, another step forward. I like what the Cardinals have done. They didn't do a ton to add to that offense in the offseason. But they're good. They're going to be the best offense in this division. This one wasn't a very hard decision for me. But St. Louis Cardinals, best offense in the NL Central. Top pitching staff in the NL Central. No-brainer. One of the easiest decisions I had to make of, of all of these picks. The Milwaukee Brewers are the best pitching staff in the NL Central, arguably in baseball. They are incredible. Corbin Burns. Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta, the names go on. You pair that with the back end of their bullpen, Devin Williams and Josh Hader. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It's incredible. The Brewers are going to go as their pitching goes, and their pitching is going to be really, really good. That's why the Brewers, in my opinion, will, I said it earlier, I think they win 90-plus games, and I think they win this. I, I think they... 
think they are the best pitching staff in the division. Newcomer of the year for the NL Central. Let's go with Seiya Suzuki of the Cubs coming over from Japan. Like I said earlier in my bold predictions, I think he hits 30-plus home runs. I really do. This guy has tons of pop. He looks like he's going to be a lot of fun. I've seen him a lot in spring training. So the newcomer of the year in this division, I could have gone with any. I could have gone with a rookie, a new a free agent acquisition, or Seiya Suzuki. And that's what I did. Seiya Suzuki, in my opinion, will be the newcomer of the year, which is a made-up award for flipping bats. But in my opinion, he's going to win it. We'll come back later and let you know if he did win it, because that'll be my decision as well. All right, and that leads us to the big one. Division winner. Who is going to win the NL Central? I'm going to take the Milwaukee Brewers. I think, look, when you have a rotation as good as they do, that's how you get through a regular season. Just every single game, night in and night out, you have a pitcher out on the mound that you can count on, that you think that, that will keep you in every single game. That rotational depth is what gets you through a regular season. So I think the Brewers win 90-plus games. I think it's close. I do think it's a closer battle than most people think between the Cardinals. But I'm going to take the Brewers here, and the main reason for that is that pitching staff. I think the offense will do enough. I think Christian Yelich comes back to form a little bit, and I think the Milwaukee Brewers end up being a really good team, getting a high seed heading into the playoffs, and potentially could make some noise there. But we'll talk about all my playoff stuff later. But... NL Central, that does it for the NL Central. Milwaukee Brewers, the divisional champs. And now we head on to the NL West. All right, so storylines in the NL West. Let's start there. The first one comes to my head immediately. Bob Melvin, now with the San Diego Padres. What is his impact going to be? In my opinion, Bob Melvin is a top five, top three manager in the game of baseball. He's been in Oakland for a long time with a team that constantly overperformed from what people were expecting them to do. Now he goes to San Diego and is in charge of a team with all of the talent in the world that just can't seem to put it all together. At least they didn't last year. So I think Bob Melvin comes in and immediately puts his stamp on this team and this organization. Tough start to him in San Diego. He gets Fernando Tatis there, the, one of the best studs in baseball, and immediately the news comes out that he has a broken wrist and he's going to be out for a while. But without him, this team is set up to succeed. They have talent everywhere. Their pitching staff is, and could be, has the potential to be the best pitching staff in that division. Easily. But they struggled last year. Blake Snell wasn't as good as usual. You Darvish. Joe Musgrove was the best pitcher on that team last year. They definitely just need to learn to put it together, to hone in all the talent they have. And I think Bob Melvin comes in and makes a big difference. So I feel like a lot of people have been writing off the Padres because of last year and just how it all crumbled and came crashing down and was really ugly down the stretch. But Bob Melvin will get it all under control. He'll right the ship. That's my opinion. That's what I think happens. So, big storyline in the NL West. Will Bob Melvin's impact be enough for the Padres? Next storyline for me. The San Francisco Giants and their offense. We know they're going to pitch. I think they're going to pitch really well. 
Logan Webb's going to be good, who emerged as a star in the playoffs last year. Let's not forget Carlos Rodon, a potential Cy Young guy last year in the American League with the White Sox, is now over with the Giants in the National League West. He helps that rotation out tremendously. Kevin Gosman out, Carlos Rodon in. Their pitching will be good. Everybody in the back end of that bullpen is great as well. You can count on them all. For me, the storyline is the offense. What can you get from the offense? Buster Posey, gone, retired. Hall of Famer, coming soon. Brandon Crawford, older, had a really good year last year. Out of, I don't want to say out of nowhere because he's been good in the past, but definitely one of the better years in his career towards the older side. Can you count on that again? I don't know. Mike Yastrzemski, who struggled last year in the outfield. I think he's better this year. Chris Bryant, who they got in the second half of the year. Gone. So there's just a lot of question marks. Lamont Wade, can you count on him to be as good as he was at certain times last year? The storyline here, and a big storyline in the NL West, this is going to make a big difference in who wins this division. The Giants will be there. This is going to be a three-team. We're talking about three teams here. And not to, not to hate on the Rockies or the Diamondbacks. They're just not going to be there. They're just not ready yet. Can the Giants hit? That's what it is for me. That's what it will come down to for that team. Is can they hit? We know they'll pitch. So that's that storyline. Next up, the final storyline for me in the NL West is the Tatis injury. Back to the Padres. How much of an effect does this have? When is he going to come back? Can this team tread water until he comes back? The Padres are... The, Fernando Tatis is one of the best players in baseball. And he was last year. He was plagued with a few injuries last year throughout. But we saw the player that he is. We did. So now we come into spring training. We're high on the Padres. Oh, Fernando Tatis got in a motorcycle accident in the offseason. He's going to miss a good chunk of time. So now that puts a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure on the rest of this offense. Where do you make up that production? And you can't fully make up that production, but how much of an impact will losing him have? Will it just be minimal and you can tread water and when he's back, you're just, you know, you're right there in contention still? Or are you going to struggle bad without him? For me, another massive storyline is the impact that Tatis' injury has on this Padres team. I mean, you, you can't overstate it. They could really struggle without him. So when does he come back? How long does it take? And the impact he has once he does come back. They just got to they gotta stay there. They just got to stay in it. So now on to some bold predictions. My bold predictions for the NL West. And I was just talking about them a second ago and said I don't think they'll be there in contention to win the division. Nothing against them. I do want to talk about the Rockies. I think the Rockies end up with a winning record outside of their division. Now, the division is tough. You have three teams that are going to be really good. The Rockies aren't going to be terrible, okay? They're not going to be terrible. You add Chris Bryant. You sign Ryan McMahon, who's proven to be good. You add Randall Gritchick. CJ Crone is back. I'm not going to say that I like the Rockies, 
but I don't hate them. I don't think they're one of the worst teams in the league like we've been thinking for the past couple of years. I think they're better. I think they're heading in the right direction. I am tired of hearing people say, what are the Rockies doing? They've been doing it all wrong. You know what? They had been doing it all wrong. They bring in a new GM that's clearly focused on winning. Chris, Bry- Chris Bryant, sign him to a long-term deal. Ryan McMahon, lock him up to an extension. You make a trade, you get Randall Grichuk, you bring in CJ Crone. These guys are at least doing it the right way now, as opposed to just getting rid of Nolan Arenado and giving them $50 million to take him, as opposed to letting Trevor Story walk and not at least giving him a qualifying offer so that you can at least get a draft pick in return. They definitely had their struggles, but they're on the right path in my opinion. So let's, let's commend them for making the moves that they have. I don't think they'll be great. I don't think they'll be a great team. I don't think they'll, they'll compete for a wild card spot, but I think they're better. And I think outside of the division, they're going to compete. Last year at home, they were pretty good. I think this year, they're a little bit better. I think they compete outside of the division. So that's my first bold take of the NL West. Next up, I want to talk about McCovey Cove. Here's my bold prediction. Why McCovey Cove? Well, for those of you that don't know, right field in San Francisco isn't very long. At Oracle Park, you have the short right field brick wall, the people up on top of that, the walkway, the fountains, and then a, you know outside of the stadium, there's a little like sidewalk, and then the water. McCovey Cove, it's named, after Willie McCovey and all the bombs he hit in there. My bold prediction this year is that a right-handed hitter reaches McCovey Cove. Now, let me explain this one a little bit. A right-handed hitter has never had a splash hit in McCovey Cove. Never. It has never happened, which is wild and one of my favorite stats in baseball. But since that park has opened in 2000, there has not once been a splash hit by a right-hander. I think it happens this year. Now, It's not just like a baseless claim that I'm like, ah, this is the year. No, I started thinking about it. And let's stick, well, one, let's start with the Dodgers. They got a bunch of big boppers. We know they're going to rake. Mookie has good opposite field power. uh, So there's a potential there. Uh, Pollock is now gone. So he would have been a guy that I could think of. But let's go to the Rockies again. This is where I think it happens. And I don't want to limit myself, but, you know, it's, a, it's, it's a, already a bold prediction. So I don't want to limit myself by, like, picking the people that will do it. But I think Chris Bryant has a chance to do it, and C.J. Crone is back. C.J. Crone has a chance to do it. So just a multi, this is also a fun fact as well as a bold fact. The fun fact being a right-handed hitter has never had a splash hit in McCovey Cove, and the bold statement is that it happens this year. So let's move on to my last bold statement. And that is, let's talk about the, let's talk about the Dodgers. Let's talk about Trey Turner. I think Trey Turner goes 30-30 this year. Now, what is 30-30? 30 home runs, 30 stolen bases. It is not done often. I think he has a chance to do it. He steals a lot of bases. His power numbers have been there over the last few years. I like it. I like it a lot. I could I could have picked anyone in this Dodgers lineup. The lineup is so good. I could have picked anybody and predicted something bold for them. But I really like Trey Turner. 
And it's not only because I drafted him first overall in our Fox Sports Digital Fantasy Baseball draft. That's not why I'm doing it. It's, I hope it happens. But I really do believe Trey Turner is just continuing to get better. I think he is an MVP caliber of a player, and I think the Dodgers got a good one there at shortstop. So over now will be his first full season with uh, his first full season with the Dodgers. So yeah, I think he does great. So that does it for the bold predictions. Now you know what time it is. We're gonna bring on our guest Pedro Morris. Covered the covered the Dodgers for years. Now he work for, works for Fox Sports, does a lot of writing for us, some great stuff there. So let's now welcome him in, Pedro, to talk about the NL West. Pedro, thanks for joining me, man. I really appreciate it. How pumped are you that baseball's back? I'm, I'm still in the surprise state a little bit, right? I mean, you know, there were, <laughs> we, had to prepare, we had to prepare for the possibility that it wasn't going to be back right now. So it's um, the fact that it is, the fact that we're just, you know, hours essentially away from the from opening day, from watching Shohei Otani pitches, is um is wild, and it, you know it just came on real fast. So yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, me too, man. I this day, Thursday can't get here fast enough. So hey, what I want to start with with you, uh, we're talking NL West, is some storylines. When you look at the National League West as a whole, let's start with your first one. What would a storyline be in the National League West this year? Well, okay. So this is like not exactly groundbreaking, but you know you might recall anyone watching this that last year there was a um, a pretty tense tussle to to decide the division winner um, between you know the two best teams in baseball, and I think they're both geared up for a, a another run. And so the answer for me is is you know part two Dodgers Giants, you know, and and can they win 213 games again between them? Probably not. Can they get to 200? Uh, may, maybe. Uh, I think. Either way, this figures to be a, a, a really fun, uh, you know, th- like thorough battle between these these two squads that are built in similar ways that both rely on, on really superlative depth. And I, I'm very curious to see how it goes. I think no one would have expected the Giants to win a game more than the Dodgers last year, let alone 107 games. And so the fact that that's possible, that they can, you know, that we know they can get to those levels I, I think it uh, it forces you to to really live in a little bit of uncertainty uh, when you're when you're projecting this upcoming season. So there, as in the Giants, their win total this year is around 89 and a half, 90 wins. Um, so why is that? Do you believe they're going to overperform that? Do you think they're going to be not as good as they were last year? But do you think they vastly overperform from that number? Vastly, I, I, I would guess no. I, I would guess no. I think that, you know, the projection systems were actually somewhat high on them last year, too, you know, going into the season. It's just that, you know, you, you, you wouldn't have found a single person in baseball who would have projected the Giants for over 105 wins last season. <laughs> Absolutely you know, not. That's just, I, I refuse to believe anyone in the world would have done that, um, let alone, you know, even their people in charge of their organization. And so, you know, 90 wins, being projected to win something like 90 games is, is you know, is not a... Um, it's not a criticism of your roster. It's not, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an honor essentially. And so I, I still think, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they beat that projection by a little bit. The projections are in some ways limited. You know, they don't take into account that the Giants are really good at uh, fixing essentially any issues that arise during a season. They don't realize that if, you know, if, for example, they're not getting any production out of left field, they're going to go out and acquire a left fielder. They will not stomach you know, six weeks of poor play out of any position. They are going to find solutions. They're going to mine the waiver wire. They're going to, 
you know, to bring in people who aren't part of the roster right now. And, um, you know, that that's not really projectable in, in a computer sense. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I think they'll, I think they'll be better than that. I, I still think, you know, <laughs> I still think the Dodgers will be better, but I, I still retain the ability to be surprised if, if I'm wrong again. Okay. All right. So Dodgers giants, part two storyline. Number one, uh, what's another storyline for you? I'm going San Diego in, in their rotation specifically. You know, they're uh, obviously they have some hitting talent there, but they're losing a lot of it with Fernando Tatis Jr. out for, for at least a couple months here. And so my, my storyline is can their can their rotation carry them into wild card contention? You know, they have there's the potential there that, that there's five or so top 50 starters in the sport between you know Darvish, Snell, Clevenger goes on and on. There's a lot, and Musgrove, who was their best guy last year. Uh, and I think, you know, theoretically, you can imagine a world in which that's the best rotation in the division. And if, that, if that's the best rotation in the division, the lineup holds its own, Tatis comes back in June, I can see that team winning 90 plus. And, you know, you may not, you may only have to win 90 or so to be a, to be a legitimate wild card contender this year. I also could see it going awry, right? Like it did last year. I'm not certain how, you know, what is you Darvish right now? What is Blake Snell right now? We, we just don't know. Um, but I think it's intriguing enough to to keep your eye on it uh, all season long. It's you know even even out of the out of the gate here when they they break out an interesting rotation. Yeah, I also I think people are undervaluing uh, Bob Melvin and what he brings to a team and an organization. He has been brilliant in Oakland with a team that, to be honest with you, for many years didn't ha- didn't hold a candle to other teams on paper but they would get it done. And I think he was a big part of that. Uh, How much of a factor do you have Bob Melvin playing with a team that is very talented? They just didn't seem last year to be able to really mesh well together, put it all together um, and and figure it out. I think we're undervaluing Bob Melvin with the Padres. Well, I'm with you. Um, I think that there's, there were a lot of indications that Jace Tingler, their former manager did not have a, um, a great hold on the clubhouse in terms of motivating players, in terms of you know uh, maintaining the the, the um, a, a a competent and, and solid middle ground of energy throughout the season. It was it fluctuated a lot between great and, and poor there in, in San Diego last year and the year before. It started really on a bad foot pretty early on in his tenure there. And so Bob Melvin has proven that he can keep things at an even keel. And I, I think we're just going to see fewer controversies out of out of San Diego this season. You know he knows what he's doing in terms of managing a room. And that's what he's tasked with. And I think um, I absolutely think that can that can make a difference, you know, a couple wins here and there and and, and, and create a, a calmer atmosphere. I, you know, personally, my, my thought is that the manager is not going to be responsible for pushing this team into a division title or, you know, into into the playoffs. But I think, you know, if they're close enough, he can absolutely be the uh, the deciding factor. Mm-hmm. Less controversy, and the first thing he has to deal with when he shows up for spring training is his star player and one of the biggest stars in the league uh, figuring out that he broke his wrist and is going to be out for a while. So that's always a tough start. Uh, okay, so Padres pitching staff. What would be one more storyline you can give me for the NL West this year? This one's just just fun. This might be my own personal fascination, but it's 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 uh, Chris Bryant just toiling over there in obscurity. You know, you you've heard about his uh, his massive contract. <laughs> you've heard about um, the 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 Rockies' decision to give him this contract when they're not really pushing for contention in any other way. And after losing, of course, Nolan Arenado, Trevor Story, um, 
Jonathan Gray and, and you know others in the, in the past too. They've let some you know some high priced players of their own go, and then they went out and acquired a extremely high priced free agent. I think you know the ballpark will be a great home for him in terms of like pure ability to hit homers, and um, this guy can do that. You know, he he hasn't necessarily done it a lot in the last couple seasons, but I still believe in him, and I think that you know we could see some crazy statistics there. You know, not that I expect any of them to impact the division race really at all whatsoever. Uh, but, you know, 45, <laughs> 50 homers, I think it's possible. All right. That's fair. I like that. Okay. So that, that leads me into a good question that I have for you. When you look at the NL West, who are, let's name three of your top players in the NL West that you're excited to watch this year? Um, you you might have heard of him, Ben. I, I believe his name's um, Frederick uh, Freddie Freeman. He's a new acquisition Frederick. in yeah. in the division. Yeah, yeah, pretty good player. Um, seen him a lot in the playoffs in recent seasons, and I think um, yes, I think having him at at first base uh, as a stalwart in the middle of that uh, that Dodgers lineup is going to be uh, is going to be intimidating. And I, I think uh, I I enjoy watching the man hit. You know, I think he's one of the the, the purest, most enjoyable uh, hitting, you know, at bats to watch in the sport. I mean, you know, up there in the yeah. top five for me, like, you know, if you, if you, if you splice together two hours of his at bats, would I, would I tune out? You know, no, absolutely not. And so I think, you know, having him there for 600 plus plate appearances is a pretty enticing thing. Um, I think, yeah, he's in, and the Dodgers are sort of, I, I think it's super interesting how they replaced a shortstop with a first baseman, you know, between Corey Seager and Freddie Freeman, <laughs> they're the rest of the, um, and they're sliding over the rest of the infield to accommodate that and how really they might not be any worse defensively as a result and they actually might be better uh and it's like how could this happen you know and it's just it's a testament to the dodgers uh depth and, and flexibility and versatility they built across their roster that they can you know replace a shortstop with a first baseman okay so freddie freeman is one frederick oh, good old frederick all right who you got next i mentioned him briefly earlier um i'll take blake snell I think there's just a lot of uncertainty about what he is the pitcher. And I think, you know, if he's, you know, anywhere near the, the Cy Young type he's been in the past, all of a sudden that Padres rotation I was talking about looks a lot, uh, a lot more threatening. But if he's the, you know, the mid four road, mid four ERA, um, you know, nearly five walks per nine starter he was last year, that's a lot harder to start to see them, them, you know, really challenge for the playoffs. And so he hasn't done much this spring, um, but, you know, this is still a young man. This is still a, a guy with, a, you know, great strikeout potential. Even last year amid his struggles, he was striking out. I think it's close to 12 for nine. So it's not like the stuff is yeah. suddenly hit. It's just a matter of can he harness it? And I think that's, you know, yeah. going to be really interesting to watch. Okay. Freddie Freeman, Blake Snell, two, two good choices there. Let's, let's get one more top player to watch in the NL West? Lamont Wade, late night Lamont in, uh, in San Francisco. Yeah. Can he, you know, can he repeat anything close to what he did last year in terms of the, in terms of the success, in terms of the pure good fortune, in terms of coming up in big spots and, and doing it. And maybe he'll prove that it wasn't all pure good fortune and, and, and some metal that he, that he has within him. But I think the, the, you know, the, I'm just interested in watching the part two of that, him specifically, and the in the Giants. You know, he's a 
he is a you know was a big part of their platoon success last year their part-time player success and i think as he goes we know we might see the rest of the giants uh lineup follow and i think i'm i'm just interested to see like you know when the first 10 45 p.m at bat comes up where he's you know he has the ability to win it for the giants is he gonna win it yep good i like that i like those answers um so this question little different for you here. This is this is for people listening that may not be the most diehard. I know every prospect ever, and I know when they debut. So this question for you is, who are, who are three players that you're excited to watch that are maybe rookies or newcomers, just names that people need to know in the NL West this year? Yeah, I'll go first with, um, there's there's a lot, first of all, but I'll, I'll go first with Bobby Miller, a, um, a Dodgers right-handed pitching prospect who uh, they drafted in, in 2020. Um, and since then he's okay. essentially, he's throwing harder and his, uh, his breaking pitches are getting sharper uh, with every, with every, every time he's, he pops up, and he's, he's, he's improved. And um, this spring scouts are, scouts are saying that they're, they're, they're timing his fastball in, in triple digits. You know, I've heard 101, I've heard 102. And uh, this is a, um, you know, it's still, inexperienced but really potential filled right-hander and the and the Dodgers have shown an ability to to get to extract a lot out of these pitchers I think he is not going to start the the season anywhere near the major leagues but I would not be surprised at all if he uh if he proves to be uh, an impact pitcher down the stretch some sometime in maybe August okay. September perhaps October and I think he's a he's a big one okay perhaps a big playoff uh, big playoff implications down the line. So, all right, good one. What do you got next? Let's go with uh, Geraldo Perdomo. He's the um, he looks like the Diamondbacks shortstop of the future. We haven't mentioned the Diamondbacks yeah. yet, I don't think, because uh, <laughs> not, they're not that relevant, uh, you know, in, in the division race. But I think for not that Perdomo is going to be a uh, you know, no one's expecting him to be a superstar straight away, but uh. The Diamondbacks' uh, longtime shortstop Nick Ahmed looks to be hurt, and I, I think they're going to slot Perdomo in uh, at the position at least to start the season. He did he he held his own last year down the stretch uh, in the major leagues, and I think uh, this is a guy who has 20 homer potential and good defense potential from from the shortstop position, and that's you know that's a, a sneaky valuable player. Um, he's still quite young, uh, and. I'm interested in seeing what the, uh, you know, what he amounts to right away when given a, a, a pretty good runway here. And will he force the Diamondbacks hand? Will, you know, when Ahmed comes back, will they have to trade Ahmed? Will they move someone to second? You know, what will they do? They have some, they have some flexibility in there in their lineup with Cattell Marte as well. But Geraldo Perdomo looks to be, um, you know, someone who could impact the next good Diamondbacks team. All right. And I know you said there's a lot in the NL West, but give me your best, give me one more, your, your favorite uh, of the rest. I think the um, the best prospect in the you know in the National League West at, at this point is probably C.J. Abrams, the uh, San Diego Padres uh, shortstop. And so I, I I gotta go him. You know I haven't haven't laid eyes on him that often. I think the uh, he, there's some talk that he could be impactful pretty soon here. <laughs> Obviously the Padres um, shortstop oh, wow. plans in, okay. the short, in the short term have changed uh, with uh, with Fernando Tatis's injury, as you said, Matt. But if you know if they devote the position to Abrams, you know out of spring training which they think is still unlikely or sometime shortly um that that would be really fun to watch he's a really young uh, high school draft who's who's hit uh and uh has you know essentially boundless potential i think at this point so let's 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 go with him okay i like it i like it a lot and 
All right, my last question for you. Going to put you on the spot, and I don't want to take words out of your mouth, but I'm going to assume the Rockies and the Diamondbacks are out of the equation here. Who wins the division, Pedro? Dodgers, Padres, Giants. Who you got? I, I You know, I think it's, it's one of those things. I got to stick with the Dodgers. The team has more talent assembled on their roster. Um, will I be surprised if the Giants pull it off for a second straight season? No, and I'm not projecting them to be bad. Nothing of the sort. But, you know, you look at the Dodgers lineup, you look at their uh, rotation, bullpen, their resources in case position struggles, and they can go out and trade for somebody else. I have to pick the Dodgers. I, I, I simply do. Um, you know, I think it's going to be something like I would project a five to ten game gap between them and the, and the Giants come season's end. But, you know, I've been wrong before and I could be wrong again. But uh, until <laughs> as long as this as long as this ta- this team looks as talented it is, as it is, I have to I have to, again, select the Dodgers. All right, Pedro, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, For those listening, Pedro does some incredible work for us. His writing is just incredible. Pedro Mora on Twitter. Go check him out. Check out his work. Pedro, thanks for joining me, my friend. Yeah, thank you. Wanted to thank Pedro again for joining me. Another fun conversation, but now it's time again to get into our top offense pitching staff newcomer, all that stuff. Pedro, Big Dodgers guy. You heard him there talking about the Dodgers. Let's start with top lineup here. This one, a no-brainer. The best lineup in the NL West is the LA Dodgers. The Dodgers, Trey Turner, Mookie Betts, Justin Turner, Freddie Freeman. The, the names go on. I will say this. I will say this. Cody Bellinger worries me. The year Cody Bellinger had last year, the spring training he's having this year, not good. So that is a big worry for me with this lineup, but they'll be just fine without him. The best lineup in the National League West is the Los Angeles Dodgers. Let's talk about the best pitching rotation, the best pitching staff in the National League West. I'm going to take the Giants here. Now, this was a toss-up. This was a tough one. There are a few good pitching staffs. The, the Padres are good, and the Dodgers are pretty good. I think the Giants are the best of the best here. Logan Webb has emerged as a star. I think he's going to be really, really good this year. Carlos Rodon, as I just talked about a little while ago, is really good. The back end of that bullpen, I think Camilo Duvall is going to have a great year. A young guy that we got to see get some big outs in the playoffs. So he's going to be good as well. Just from start to finish, just a bunch of guys you can count on that can be consistent in this pitching staff. I like the Giants a lot. I as well, I agree with Pedro. I think they overperform from the number they were given a little bit. I think they win 90-plus games. So, yeah, and I think a big part of it's going to be their pitching and that they can just get the job done. Let's talk newcomer of the year, and we're going to stick with the Giants. Joey Bart, the new catcher for the Giants. Joey Bart is a young rookie prospect, big prospect, and he's tasked with taking over Buster Posey's spot, the spot that Buster Posey has had for a decade. Now he's here. I think he's going to be really good. I really like Joey Bart. I've heard nothing but good things about him. He's been a prospect I've heard about for a long time. He's looked good in spring training. Newcomer of the year for me in the NL West is rookie. Joey Bart. Tough, tough road for him. He's, he's filling in the shoes of Buster Posey, a surefire Hall of Famer. 
But I think he's going to do a pretty good job of it. So I'm excited to watch that this year. That leads me to the big one. Division winner. Who's going to win? Padres or the Giants or the Dodgers. I'm going to go with the Dodgers here. There's just too much firepower. I think this has a chance to be a three-team race. But there's just too much firepower. Padres, I think, will be better. Giants, I think, will be slightly, I don't want to say worse, just not quite as good as they were last year. But the Dodgers, the firepower just keeps coming at you. That lineup is incredible. The pitching will get the job done. Um, the, the pitching was a little bit of a worry for me. Then you go and get a guy like Craig Kimbrell, who you just hope is, you know, there seems to be at this point in his career two different versions of Craig Kimbrell. The guy that can still be lights out as he was with the Atlanta Braves years ago and the guy that is can really struggle and not be able to find the strike zone. But I do like that pickup. It just gives them depth and gives them another guy to bring in out of the bullpen. That, that bullpen just has nasty stuff now. You look from top to bottom, the bullpen's good. The pitching rotation, there are a couple of question marks, um, but some guys that will be coming back from injury throughout the year. I'm not overthinking this one. The Dodgers will win the division. The Dodgers should win it by a few games, but I like the other teams as well. Dodgers and OS. So that's our division winners of the Atlanta Braves, the Milwaukee Brewers, and the LA Dodgers. But talking about Joey Bart there as the newcomer of the year got me to thinking. Let's do a, a top rookies of the year. Top five NL rookies of the year. All right? Let's start with number five for me. Bryson Stott. Bryson Stott of the Phillies. I Look, I like him a lot. I think he's going to be really good. I'm not sure if he's going to win the starting job out of camp or if he's going to be playing there every day. I think Didi's going to get some time as well, but I'm really excited to watch him. So he is number five. Number four for me, Joey Bart. We just talked about him when we talked about the Giants. Big shoes to fill. Joey Bart filling in for Buster Posey has a really good pitching staff to, to catch uh, and to, to coordinate them, to make them better. But I've also heard really good things about him offensively. So when it comes to a rookie to watch, Joey Bart is certainly on that list. At number three, Seiya Suzuki of the Chicago Cubs. Classified as a rookie. I know he's been playing for a little while over in Japan. But this guy's coming over with some serious pop in his bat. He's going to be good. My bold prediction is that he hits 30-plus home runs. Seiya Suzuki is definitely on this list of top five NL rookies this year. Number two, Hunter Green, Cincinnati Reds, flamethrower. Throws 100 million miles an hour. Legitimately, 103 miles an hour. He is the real deal. I'm excited to watch him. He has... Been a prospect since the day he was drafted second overall. He could have gone first overall. Uh, ended up kind of, ended up, I don't want to say falling to second. He was a second overall pick. But went second overall. Now the Reds have him. He's pitching. He's legitimately throwing 103 miles an hour out there. He made the opening day roster. So he will be in the rotation from the word go for this Reds team. So watch out for Hunter Green with the Cincinnati Reds. And that leaves number one, O'Neill Cruz. Pittsburgh Pirates, a guy that actually didn't make the opening day roster, which was a surprise, a mistake, in my opinion, on behalf of the Pirates. This guy hit really, really well in spring training. An OPS over one, he's like 6'6", he's a shortstop, he has a bunch of pop in his bat. O'Neal Cruz is the real deal. 
So you look at this team now, you look at the Pirates, who aren't going to be good and are infuriating, infuriating if you're a fan of baseball and especially a fan of them. But you now look at what the left side of their infield could be. Cabrian Hayes, who, who is their third baseman and came up last year and showed flashes except he got hurt, but could be really good. He's going to get his money from the Pirates finally extending him. O'Neill Cruz could be at shortstop. So you could have a left side of the infield, and in my opinion will at some point this year, of O'Neill Cruz and Cabrian Hayes. And to me, that sounds like an exciting future for the Pittsburgh Pirates. So those are my top five rookies that I'm excited to watch in 2022. And now, let's talk about playoffs. Yeah, I just can't believe we're at the point where I get to make my playoff predictions. Like I said off the top of the show, I've been waiting for this day for a long, long time. So that's how we're going to wrap up this show. We're going to talk playoffs. We're going to talk the division winners that we already know, the seeding amongst them, and then the three wildcard teams. That's right. There are three wildcard teams now. Expanded playoffs. We're now done with 10 teams. We have gone to 12 teams. So we'll talk playoffs, who I think will win, who I think will win the National League, and then who I think will win the, the awards. MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, all of that good stuff. But let's start with the playoffs. National League, the one seed, in my opinion, the team that will, the one seed will be getting a bye as well. The Los Angeles Dodgers. Yeah, they're just, they're too good. They're going to dominate. They're going to be really good. They rack up my one seed. And number two, I am going to take the Atlanta Braves, the reigning champs. Just as good this year, if not better. I think they put up a really good, I think they put up, have a great regular season. The NL East is tough. It will, it will test them throughout the year. They can't take for granted the division they're in. It's going to be tough. And they're going to compete for, for there's going to be other teams in contention down the stretch. But I think they win the division and get the two seed. At number three, I'm going to take the Brewers. The Brew Crew win in that division. They get the three seed. Number four, now we're getting into the wild card seeds. I'm going to take the New York Mets getting that first wild card spot. I think Jacob deGrom comes back at some point and then... The rest is history. Once you have that rotation going smoothly of DeGrom, Scherzer, Bassett, they're going to be really good. I do think they make the playoffs, and I think they make it pretty handily. I think they give the Braves a run for their money for the division, but I don't think they quite win that division. Mets, Mets number four. At five, the five seed and the second wild card team, the St. Louis Cardinals. Look, this was one of my bold predictions earlier. I, still, I think the Cardinals win 90-plus games, at least close to it. I'm going to take them with the five seed. I do think the Cardinals make the playoffs. Number six. This was tough for me. Oh, this was tough. I'm going to say number six and the final playoff team in the National League is the Philadelphia Phillies. Let me start with talking about them. I think the offense is good. I think the offense is great. It's going to be good enough to get into the playoffs. I think the pitching holds up enough so that they can compete all year long, give that offense a chance to just outscore everyone. I think they get in. I now want to talk about the Padres, who are the team that this was tough to leave off. I think that Tatis injury hurts them. I think it hurts a lot. If Tatis was starting opening day, I would have them in the playoffs. Full disclosure, I would have them in the playoffs. I don't know if they're going to be able to hold their ground and tread water with Fernando Tatis out until 
June. That's just a tall order, a tough task. Losing one of the best players in baseball in the middle of your lineup is never easy. In that division that they're in, I think they could get behind pretty quickly, and I don't think they're able to get a wild card spot at the end. So the Phillies are my number six seed in the National League. Now, who wins the National League? Put a lot of thought into this. It all leads up to this. I know this will be coming back. We'll be looking back at this. Ben Verlander predicted who to win. The Atlanta Braves are running it back as National League champs and win the NL pennant. I think they're better than last year. I really do. You lose Freddie Freeman and you get better as a team? Yes. Hear me out. Matt Olson steps in really nicely. Ronald Acuna comes back. Mike Soroka comes back. Austin Riley continues to get even better and has an MVP type of year. Max Fried is great. This rotation holds strong. Kenley Jansen's great at the back of the bullpen. You re-sign Eddie Rosario, Adam Duvall. I love what this Braves team has done. I think the experience that they gain is invaluable. That's the big thing for me. And it had been leading up to last year. I thought last year, I actually predicted the Braves winning the World Series last year. And the reason I did that is because I thought they had a good team, but they were going to get over the hump of the playoffs. That was my big that was my big concern. They did it. They got over that hump of the Dodgers in the playoffs. They got over that hump of not being able to get to the World Series. And they got over that hump of of not being able to win it. They win the World Series, they get that experience along the way, and now you get your team back to full strength at some point this year. It is a different looking team. Jorge Soler, obviously World Series MVP. He is gone. He's now with the Marlins. But I love this Braves team. I think they are even better. And the experience that they now gained from going through that 2021 playoff run is tough to match. You see it with the, you see it with the Astros on the other side in the AL. That experience they, come, they have, you just come across teams that clearly are just overmatched and, and overmatched by the situation. The Braves won't be now. I love this Atlanta Braves team. I'm excited to watch them this year, and I think the Atlanta Braves win the NL pennant. Now we can get to the awards. Who wins Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, and MVP? We're covering it all today. We told you an NL preview was coming. Oh, baby, are you getting an NL preview? You're getting the whole preview. Let's start with National League Rookie of the Year. In my opinion, that Rookie of the Year is going to be a guy that's not on the opening day roster, O'Neill Cruz. O'Neill Cruz is a stud, a top prospect in the game of baseball. It is unfortunate. I am mad at the Pirates that they didn't put him on the opening day roster. He deserved it. There is no reason for him to be in AAA to start the year. But I thought about it, and I did not even want to change my opinion on who wins Rookie of the Year. I still think it's him. I think he comes up pretty early in the season, and I think he does a really good job once he gets there and shows the world just how good he is and how how good he's going to be in the future. Next up, Cy Young Award, the NL Cy Young. This one, in my opinion, was easier before the DeGrom injury. Full disclosure, 
It was going to be DeGrom. I am now not taking Jacob DeGrom. I think he's going to miss too much time. And a guy that I think just continues to be really good. He is showing himself to be a staple of consistency. Walker Bueller. Friend of the podcast, might I add. Great conversation I had with him last year. I think he wins the Cy Young Award this year. His first, I think he's just continuing to get better. I like him a lot. And I think that I think that Dodgers rotation needs him more than more than we know. That that's kind of a weak point. They're, they're still good, but they need Walker Bueller to be elite, in my opinion. Not to win the division, but to go further. They need Walker Bueller to be elite, and I think he wins the Cy Young Award. Let's move on to the MVP. Juan Soto of the Washington Nationals will be the National League MVP. Look, he's just he's just so good offensively. Like I said, I think he leads the league in all major offensive categories. Average home runs, on-base percentage, slugging percentage. That was my bold take. One of my bold predictions for the National League. I think he wins the National League. And to be honest with you, I think he wins it running away. I think by the end of the year, we know Juan Soto is going to be MVP when all is said and done. So this has been a blast. You know what we should do? We should do it all again tomorrow. An American League preview coming up. Today has been a National League preview. We went division by division, giving you a bunch of storylines, bold takes, all of that good stuff. We had some fun guests, which we will also have in the American League preview. We're going to do the same thing. We'll go through it all again next time. But thank you guys for listening. This has been another episode of Flipping Bats. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple, wherever you do, rate it five stars. Make sure you're subscribed. That would really help us out a lot. We also have social media, all social media, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, where every episode comes out via video. You can watch that on YouTube. We have Facebook as well. Everything. So thank you for listening. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the AL preview. We're continuing all week long to give away MLB The Show 22 copies, so follow along on Twitter. Check those out. We're giving away codes. It is opening week, my friends. Opening day is right around the corner. The 7th, Anaheim and the Astros. I will be there to watch the Angels play the Astros. Let's go! I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time on Flippin' Bats. So pull out. He swings and it's a high fly ball, deep center field, it is gone, home run, and a huge backflip to celebrate.